to you learn something new every day. I am Joan Boyko, Coordinator of Communications and Community Outreach for the Palm Springs Unified School District. We are here each Sunday at 6.30 a.m. on 99.1 FM KGX and 9 a.m. on 92.3 FM KWXY. We also invite you to download and subscribe to our podcast. It is really easy. All you have to do is go to iTunes, look for you learn something new, press subscribe, and you will get a new show each week. This show, of course, is produced by my dedicated team of student interns here in the Digital Arts Technology Academy, also known as DATA, at Cathedral City High School. Under the direction of Mr. Bryce Johnson, our interns are Brianna Meza, Emily Martin, and Finn Weplow. And today on the show, I am very pleased to welcome back Palm Springs Unified Supervising Nurse, Laura Dyson. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. You were on the show before, right? I was a long time ago, it seems like, but I don't really think it was actually that long ago. I know. I know. It's because how long have you been with us? Oh, this is only my third school year with with Palm Springs. <laughs> That's crazy because it feels like you've just been here. I'm going on my 22nd year and it feels like you've been here at least half that time. I mean, I just <laughs> Obviously, what we've been through and what we're still going through here on September 5th is um, pretty incredible. And I don't have a clue how we would be getting through this without you, because um, everybody, well, I mean, everybody certainly is playing a very important role and has been from day one. But I don't think that there's anyone who's more crucial than the health expert. And you certainly have probably become a bigger one of those than you would have ever liked. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. <laughs> I'm sure you got into this gig. This was the last thing that you had on your mind. I mean, well, um, it's just been a year with a very steep learning curve. Let's put it yeah. that way. <laughs> no kidding. Um, what is your background, Laura? Are you an RN, LDN? Yeah, so I'm an RN. I actually was an LDN first. I was an LDN for about um, seven or eight years. And then I went on to get my RN and I went into school nursing. Um, and now here I am. <laughs> and so where did you work before you came here? I work for another district. I work for Covina Valley Unified um, out in the San Gabriel Valley. But um, before that, I did, I did a lot of community health. I was always, I worked for um, foster homes. I did some inpatient um, pediatric mental health. Um, so kind of a diverse um, background, but I've always kind of loved the community health setting. So school nursing was just kind of an easy way to um, apply all that stuff that I already had been working on. Absolutely. So you're all about kids and uh, that's, that's fabulous. And really, we couldn't ask for a better leader as we've, I mean, I can't imagine the kind of pressure that you've been under for all this time, and especially since we've come back with um, pretty much all of our kids, except um, I lost my audio, Joan.
masks and adhering to all of the health and safety protocols, which continue. Can you hear me, Laura? Yeah, sorry, I cut out for a second there. So, but then I think I picked up almost where I left off. That was really strange. <laughs> okay. Um, I will give them a flag to do a little editing here. Okay. Um, so uh, we, we all hoped we'd be on the other side of the pandemic and we'd know that isn't the case yet. And we have our kids back in school with masks and adhering to all the health and safety protocols, which continue to change right. <laughs> as we go along here. Um, but still in all, we've had some positive cases among staff and students. We knew it would happen. It's not a surprise. Uh, but for those parents who still maybe are unclear and, and members of the community who might not even be parents, walk us through what happens when we have a staff or student that tests positive for COVID-19. Sure. So when we have a staff or student that tests positive, uh, we initiate what we call our contact tracing procedure. And so with the student, well, really the process is the same either way. I um, We conduct an interview with uh, the staff member and just, and well, so first we have to look at when did their symptoms begin and when uh, did they test positive. From those dates, we go back 48 hours. So depending on uh, whether, you know, if it was a a weekend or something like that. Sometimes the contact tracing procedure is not quite as uh, difficult, but if it's like, you know, midweek and the student's been there all week, we're probably looking at several days worth of contact tracing that we have to do. And so what we do is we kind of look at the movement of the student or the staff member all across the campus. And we, we look for anybody who may have come into direct contact. And so direct contact is defined using two criteria and you have to meet both the criteria in order to uh, be considered direct exposed. And so those criteria are anybody that was within six feet for longer than 15 cumulative minutes of that positive case over the last 24 to 48 hours. So um, those are the kinds of people. And then once we identify those people, we, we notify them directly and they're sent home to um, start begin their quarantine at home. Okay. So does it matter if like, let's say it's at the the middle or high school where a student's already been vaccinated, does that matter? Yeah, so vaccination does actually matter during uh, direct exposure, So, which is why it's so important for people to get their vaccinations because when you are vaccinated and you're directly exposed, as long as you are not experiencing any symptoms yourself, you can continue to stay and you would just monitor yourself for daily for symptom development for the next 14 days after your exposure. But as long as you're not having symptoms, you can stay on the campus. So, okay, so that, that's really important to know and yet another reason to um, strongly consider vaccinations for yourself as well as your kids who are over 12. And we've had many uh, vaccination clinics here in the district with our community partners, Brago Health, Desert Healthcare, Albertsons, uh, and as we go along, we will continue to do that. And there's a, I don't have it in front of me, but there's another one coming up toward the end of September for um, second doses. And soon, um, like starting when September 20th, I think it is, um, after eight months, if you've had the Pfizer or Moderna, Moderna, I always have trouble with that. Being from New York, I just want to put an <laughs> 
taking them. Um, <laughs> the Moderna vaccine, um, you will be eligible and should get a third uh, shot. Correct. Yeah. For some reason, on our plan booster uh, clinics as well, so that we'll have those available to our to our uh, community members and our staff. Great. And I figured we would. I just don't want to. We don't have dates yet, but it's you know it, as soon as that happens. Like I mean, the first clinic we had here in the district, I think, it was February. So. Um, but that doesn't mean some of our educators didn't get the vaccine sooner than that because they were eligible. You just couldn't get an appointment. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but it's interesting, Laura, that you just called it a booster. And I asked this question in a public health call, the, the PIOs from all the cities and school districts and run by Riverside County Public Health, and they're calling it a third shot. So I asked why, I said, is, are you calling it a third shot because there's something different about it? Like, is it a different um, makeup? You know, is it a, and they said, no, they're just doing it because that's what the federal health officials are telling them that it needs to be called a third shot and not a booster. I mean, do you know anything more about that and why they're so saying it is the same makeup. So it's it's exactly the same vaccine that you got back in January or February or whenever you got your first dose and second dose. It's the same shot. They're just giving you um, essentially another dose to give your um, immune system kind of that boost to fight off the next, um, you know, and if you get exposed again, you, we want your body to have enough of the um, immunity in order to fight that, fight off those symptoms. So you maybe don't experience any symptoms at all or they're less severe. So why not just call it a booster for heaven's sake? I don't it's all about the labels. I know, but it, it's just, uh, sometimes I feel like officials just create more confusion than is necessary. And I think this is a good example because I, like I immediately went to, if you're calling it a third shot and not a booster, what's different about it? You yeah. know, because and if, if it's the same... If you listen to the news, it's all about the booster shot, too, is how the news is putting it out there. So, well, I, I guess the news isn't listening because the I guess the health officials are saying don't call it that, you know, and as a PR person, they told me don't call it a booster, call it a third shot. And I'm like, all right, I don't understand why, but you guys are in charge and I will I will do that. Third shot. So, it is. Uh, yeah. OK, so. um Getting back to the topic, because I did do a little bird walk, but thank you for letting me vent. Uh, <laughs> we have our COVID-19 dashboard, and we've actually had that dashboard in place since last spring. And at that time, it was a requirement for school districts to have this dashboard that tracks cases. At the time, we didn't have a whole lot of activity for several reasons. One is we were on the downtick of um, cases mm -hmm. and positivity rates. And two, we didn't have all that many people at school because we were in the hybrid program and the, we only had a percentage of our kids, a, a small percentage, because we had half of half, right? I mean, we didn't have, we had a whole contingent didn't come back anyway. And then even if you did come back, your class was half full. So we decided in an effort to um, maintain transparency and just be open and honest about 
what's going on. We've kept our dashboard up. It's no longer a requirement, but can you explain what that dashboard is and what and what, what's it for? Yeah, so um, really you hit it right on the head. It's just a way for us to maintain transparency with our community. And so the dashboard is updated daily. Um, it shows the number of active positive cases that we have on our site. So you'll see the numbers kind of uh, go up and down on a daily basis. And that's because it, we're only tracking active cases, meaning those people that are in actively in their isolation period at this time. So that was 10 days from the date of their test until the date that they're uh, cleared to um, clear isolation and go back out into the general public. Um, and so you'll see those numbers kind of come up and down as the uh, days tick by and we have more or less positive cases and people that are coming on to isolation or off of isolation. So speaking of that, and this is this is a really important point that we keep trying to um, make sure that our families understand. They might go on the dashboard and see that there's, you know, I'm just picking a number, 10 cases at their school. And they wanna know, how come I didn't get a phone call? Explain why they didn't get a phone call. Right. So that kind of goes back to that when we were talking about the contact tracing procedure in the beginning. So what happens is, is when we find the positive case and we initiate that contact tracing procedure and we figure out who may have been directly exposed, those are the people who are directly notified that um, there was a positive case and that we believe you had been exposed. But in order to protect the confidentiality of the positive case, we don't just put it out there for all the, of the whole site to know that there was a positive case in room 401 at Rancho Mirage High School, right? That's that's not something that, um, that was totally made up. I don't even know if there's a room 401 at the way. <laughs> just throwing it out there. But, but just to, um, you know, we're not gonna put it out there because we wanna protect the confidentiality of that positive case. And so I always kind of explain to people, if this was your, medical information and you were the one that had tested positive, you wouldn't want us throwing it out there to all for all the world for them to know. Um, it is something that's private to you. And so we want to continue to protect your privacy as well as, you know, anybody else who tests positive. Right. Um, very well said. And it's just, it's really important because we, you know, uh, as, as parents and rightfully so, we're of our kids and we want to make sure they're as safe as possible. And this is our assurance to you that if your child was exposed, you will be notified. And if you weren't notified, then um, that means there was not a direct exposure. And you can you can feel as confident as you possibly could about sending your child to school. And if you're just joining us, you're listening to Learn Something New Every Day on KGX and KWXY, and my guest is our extremely busy um, and unbelievably valuable supervising nurse, Laura Dyson. We're so, so grateful to have you leading this this effort because, um, you know, I it, it makes a difference. You know, personalities, being able to, to keep calm and not be, you know, totally frazzled by the situation. And you're all of those. So... Um, thank you again for everything that you do. Um, I have my moments, I must say, but you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I, maybe, maybe uh, you know, you kick your husband or your kids when you go home, but I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it here. I, I just, you know, uh, 
whoever I talk to talks about how wonderful and professional you are. And I haven't heard any complaints from your staff and we'll get to them in a little bit because I do want to touch on the, the, um, the things that our health services team does when we're not dealing with this. And, and in actuality, they still have to do it because we have kids in school. So let me finish up with this um, and then we'll, we'll move on to that for a second. What can our families do to minimize um, overall risks? Like not, you know, they're sending their kids to school and we're doing our part to um, minimize risks as much as possible. What, what should they be doing at home? Right. So um, when you're, well, I think it's most important that we continue all those layers of mitigation strategies that we were using back in the spring and that we've all gotten used to over the last, you know, 18 months while this pandemic's been going on. But the wearing of the mask when we're out in public, I mean, and now that these, the new guidance is changing and, and you know, we may, st at school, everybody wears a mask, whether you're vaccinated or not. Um, out in the community, depending where you are, you may or may not wear a mask. But um, you know, really just starting to look at, am I inside of a crowded space and is my risk increased and should I really be wearing that mask while I'm um, indoors um, is made, is something that, you know, it, it just adds an extra layer of protection. Um, the other piece is the hand washing, um, making sure that you're just performing good hand hygiene. I mean, um, I've been a, I've been a, uh, you know, promoter of hand hygiene ever. I'm a nurse. So, you know, always I'm like, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. Um, but I also have always said, wash your hands and don't touch your face. Um, and I, I said that even pre COVID when people used to come and they say, well, you work in a school with a bunch of kids. How do you keep yourself from getting sick? And I would say, I wash my hands every time I see a sink and I never touch my face without having clean hands because that really is one of your biggest spread of, of um, not only just COVID, but, you know, common cold and flu and other um, other diseases that you can get. And so just putting all those extra layers of in, into play um, in addition to, you know, social distancing when you can and getting your vaccine will really help to protect you. And clean your dirty phone, right? <laughs> that True. <laughs> I have to, I have to share why, why I just said that. I'm sitting next to Laura at, um, it was right after this thing hit, we shut down and we were in, um, in the, uh, emergency operations center. Uh, and she looked at my phone and she was horrified yes. and rightfully so because it, my phone, and I'm much more conscious of it now. Do I clean it as much as I should? No, but I'm much more seriously, much more conscious of it. But she said, Joan, look, look we're in a pandemic here. Look at your phone. You have to clean that. And I of course, sure your phone had COVID right at that moment. I think that's what you said. You said you're spreading this right here and now. And, um, and I, I actually like I've, known Laura. I had known Laura via texts and emails for a long time, but I actually didn't meet her until I think it was right after, you know, all hell broke loose because it was a necessity. And it's like, there's a lot of people around here that like, oh, I finally can put a name with a face. And so that was one of our first interactions and I've never <laughs> forgotten it. And I, I laugh about it now, but it wasn't funny. It was no seriousness. So everybody clean your phone too, because it's- Especially very, if you're gonna give around me, because clearly I noticed dirty phones. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. And um, 
Okay, one other thing about COVID, and that's there. There's been back and forth about the um, quarantine period. Like, you know, it's ten days, but there was like at a certain point, I think the state said, and maybe the state's still saying it, that if you test negative after five days, you can come back. We're saying if you're not vaccinated, it's ten days. Period. End of story. Right. Right. So I know this is confusing for people. Um, the state did put out some language that allowed for what they were calling a modified quarantine, where the essentially the, pop, the direct exposure could test after day five, so on day six, after exposure, and then maybe return on day eight if they were negative. But the caveat to that was that if we allowed you to return early during that period of time, you had to test two more times in between. And so it just became... Um, kind of cumbersome for the site and the families and the, for tracking purposes. And so um, just for simplicity, um, and it really didn't make that much of a difference because we're allowing them to come back after day 10. So we're really only looking at an extra like one or two days um, where the student may be out. And, and depending on where that falls during the school week. So, um, you know, if that falls on a Friday, the, day, the next day is the weekend, and then they would come back on Monday anyway. So it really, when we started looking at it, it, um, it just didn't really make sense. And it was so confusing for a lot of people um, that we just decided to go with the 10 days. So if you're exposed, we have you out for 10 days. Um, and we just monitor for any symptom development during that time. And as long as 10 days have passed and you don't have any symptoms, we let you come back um, and just ask that you continue to daily monitor for symptoms um, through the 14, the total 14 day quarantine. And, and though it's not required, it's certainly recommended, strongly recommended that if you get notified that your child has a potential direct exposure, that you go get it your child tested, right? Yeah, and I so one thing I really wanna say about that too is um, I have to remind people often that there's a an incubation period with COVID. And so what that means is, is there's about five to seven days from the date that you're exposed until the date that you'll come up positive on a test. And so lots of times people get exposed and then they run out the very next day and they, and they, get, and they test negative and they think, okay, I'm good to go. But that's not really the case. And so timing on a test uh, for COVID is really, really important because if you haven't waited out that incubation period of five to seven days, you're maybe that test result that you got that you thought was negative, it's it's not necessarily accurate. So that's why we also want to wait out that five to seven day period and then come back on day 10 just to make sure that we're not going to develop symptoms somewhere in that more latent period of the exposure. Makes sense. That's that's a very good point. I something I guess I knew in the back of my mind, but kind of forgot about. So that's really important. Like, you know, if you find out your child was exposed today then running out to get a COVID test and being, it being negative might be a false sense of security there. Right. So, and, and I never discourage people from getting tested. And if that's something that would make you feel better, that's certainly, certainly something we can do. But really what we want to do is probably wait that five to seven days just to make sure that test result that we're getting is accurate. So speaking of testing, we have um, a schedule that started um, this past week. There's there's testing that's going on every day at some school site, right? More than one a day. Yeah, so we have testing going on. We actually have the ability to run a COVID test 
uh, every day, five days a week at any of our school sites. We have um, tests and trained medical staff on every single site. Um, and so we are able to run a test basically anytime we need to, which is really nice because um, as COVID has progressed in some of these um, sites that we you know we used to have all these drive-through sites and um, all these there was so much COVID testing available in the community but that's not really the case as much right now so um, it's really great that we can run these COVID tests at any point when we want to during the school day. Gotcha that's that's great and um, and I hope well we know people are taking advantage of it um, but as we move along here just know it's convenient and you don't have to go searching for, uh, for testing because they have reduced the um, availability of tests. Right. So, and our tests are free. So come on, you, we, can do, we can do it and you don't have to go see your doctor and pay the co-pays and do all that. So. And, and parents can get tested as well. Yeah, we're gonna test. go ahead and test parents um, only because we want to offer this as a service to the community. Um, you know, I was explaining to somebody this morning that, you know, if their parent is positive, then really we're having an extra, uh, um, an, an extra risk to the student that now the student's exposed and could potentially become positive. And so what we're trying to do is create the safest space we can possibly create at the school site. And so offering testing is just that extra layer to make sure that everybody's negative and nobody's experiencing symptoms that are related to COVID. Great. And one more thing before I leave this topic, and that's just that I want to remind parents that if your child is excluded from school, because of um, possible direct exposure. Um, we're gonna make sure that he or she is kept up to speed in terms of work and all that stuff. And sometimes it'll be virtual and sometimes it's gonna be a packet or whatever, you know, depending on the grade level and the situation. But just know that you're, we're not gonna let your child fall behind because of this. So there, okay, now, before we, um, before we run out of time, talk to me about your health services department staff. How many nurses do we have and what do they do? So we have a pretty, we have one of the largest health services departments here in the Valley. Um, so we have 12 RNs plus myself, um, and then we have eight LVNs um, as part of our health service team. And so they, we, well, when it's not COVID right now, we're very, very focused on everything that is COVID and making sure the school sites are safe. But in general, um, I have an amazing team of nurses that handle everything from daily student illness to um, immunizations, to making sure the staff are all trained on specialized procedures that students might have, um, making sure all the dietary restrictions are put into place and taken care of. Um, so we really run the gamut of health at the school site um, and making sure that all the students' needs are met and that students are safe when they're here at school. And, and I mean, we have like a lot of kids who are, diabetics who um, have, you know, they have allergy shots they need and stuff like that. And you, you, you not anybody can do that, right? You have to be, you have to be medically uh, certified to do those kind of things. Yeah. So in the state of California, um, in order to be what's called, what's considered to be a credentialed school nurse, um, you need to be an RN and you need to have a bachelor's degree. And then we actually, on top of our bachelor's and our RN, go through um, a credentialing program with the state that allows us to become school nurses. 
Um, and so those are all the RNs on our team are uh, considered credentialed school nurses. And it's just an extra layer of training because school nursing is such a specialty. It's, it's not something that's generally taught in a generalized RN school. And what we do is so different than a lot of nurses that um, work in different different facets. And so um, this it, we have this credentialing program that kind of fine tunes all our skills so that everything that we do here is, is um, we're trained to be school nurses. And I think, I think people, uh, I think school nurses, school nurses are some of the really unsung heroes because um, I think people forget that it's, you know, it's not just somebody sitting in the office waiting for a kid to come in with a tummy ache and, you know, taking their temperature. It's a lot more to it than that. And so I want to thank you and your team for everything that you do. COVID or not, but especially right now, it's um, incredibly stressful. And um, just know that we're all very grateful and um, and so appreciate your leadership and everything that everybody's doing to keep our kids safe. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And I'm really, honestly, I'm so proud of my team. Um, this is a, such a, it's one of the most stressful times of our entire careers, but everybody's really just stepped up and banded together and um, done what's needed to do to make sure that everybody's safe and that we're keeping our campuses, um, you know, as safe as they can be during this really crazy pandemic we're living in right now. Well, and that's one thing, and I've said this at every opportunity I'm able to, that I would not want to go through this with anybody but this team, you included. I have not heard one single person in a leadership role say, we can't do that. All I've heard is, we're going to do that. We'll get it done no matter what. And um, it's just really reassuring. And I hope, I know our families feel that too. So thank you for your trust, Laura. Thank you for your leadership. And we will have you back in a couple of months to give us an update. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Our show airs each Sunday right here on KWXY and KGX. Our podcast is uploaded each week. Please subscribe by going to iTunes. Look for you learn something new. Press subscribe. Please tell all your friends to do the same. Thanks for listening. Thanks again, Laura. Thank you, Brianna, Emily, and Finn. And we will see you next week.